everybody, and welcome to another weekend review edition of the Total Soccer Show. I'm your host, Taylor Rockwell. Joining me on the other end of the line is your other host, a man who would never blind his child with a trophy. It's Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan. <laughs> how, hang on, how do you know I'd never do that? I might have done that this morning. Well, see, I, I, what I'm going to assume now, I'm creating a narrative, that you, your failure to win the, uh, the race at field day, that's how I'm going to put that, oh, was boy. just so you didn't then have the opportunity to drop the, I assume, uh, championship trophy on your child's face. Yeah, the Sports Day Father's Race trophy was even sharper than the Serie A trophy, which uh, Ronaldo put into his uh, own son's eye over the weekend. So, uh, yeah, that's not good. Yeah, that's not, not good at not all. Not the best uh, childcare technique there, but hey, uh, it, it, that's a nice story for when he's older. Hey. Do you know how I got this scar on my face? Uh, I got this Serie A trophy on my face. That was fun. There, there is a weird history of, of trophies being dropped in various ways at various times. I think Sergio Ramos dropping the Copa del Rey, I think it was, off the bus yeah. remains my favorite one. That Two one stories off a bus, baby. Pretty damaged. Uh, but yeah, this, this one's up there as well. Ronaldo uh, hitting his son in the face. We'll talk more about Ronaldo and Juve uh, when we get to it because we've got a decent amount of weekend uh, results to discuss, and then a lot of sort of what does the future hold to discuss as well. Ooh. But let's start with the FA Cup. Manchester City annihilate Watford. Uh, Ryan, did you expect this to go the way it went? It would be fair for you to say yes, given how much we've talked about Man City and how much you've written about them this season. Yes, I think given okay. the <laughs> given the record, they I think they've won 11 straight against Watford now. I think we saw Watford definitely put up. Uh, they had a great game in the semi-final, obviously, against Wolves and... Uh, but the golfing class was very, very clear here. It did. We've, there's a cliche that City sort of play on a different level and are playing a different game to everybody else. But it became quite apparent in this game, didn't it? And we saw what start off. They had that early chance, didn't they? And uh, was it Pereira who got through um, mm. and forced to save Madison? But <sighs> this was only ever going one way, wasn't it? I mean, I would agree. Daryl sent me a long text. I will read it to you now. Please Basically, do. he thinks Watford had a chance. He thinks Watford had a good plan that was working. They mirrored Man City's 4-3-3 with central midfielders of Hughes, Capu, uh, Capu and Ducore. Hughes glue-marked David Silva. Ducore glue-marked Bernardo Silva everywhere they went. Then uh, How'd that Capu- work out? Is it Capu? Etienne Capu, right? You say Capu, Capu- and Capu. You can say either. Uh, free to be central destroyer, protect the middle, not get dragged anywhere. It broke when Wanford had the ball. Uh, Hughes left his mark to join the attack, but then City dispossessed Ducore. That was the first time in the entire game that Silva wasn't tightly marked by Hughes, and he ran in behind and scored. After that, Watford opened up to the attack and got brutally murdered. There will <laughs> probably be some sort of serialized podcast made about it, says Daryl. Uh, so it's, it feels like basically he's saying they kind of had a game plan that seemed like it was working, but it's telling that even with that said, it only worked uh, for a very brief amount of time, and then City kind of did what City do. Yeah, it's kind of like the superhero movie when, oh, we've got this big move, we're going to take down the the uh, the uh, the baddie here, and it just gets yeah. swatted away. It's kind of like that, I suppose. But in in saying that they match City in the four four three and whatnot, I think that might have been part of their downfall in that. They were playing a really high line. They playing too high mm-hmm. up, and I think they, a lot of the time they just got caught out trying to play. Um, credit credit to Watford for trying to play like that and not yeah. trying to you know stick eleven men in the box at all times. But it, I think that's what their downfall was. Eventually, trying to trying to bring to the table what City were bringing, also perhaps. So, like, I know we have City fans who listen to this. Uh, so I, I will say, I do want to say congratulations to Man City. They, uh, 2-0 at half ends up 6-0 uh, yeah. as the final result. They get the domestic treble, which I don't think has ever happened on the men's uh, side. Sc- excuse me, excuse me. Quadruple, out. quadruple, the Supercopa, the Community oh, Shield. Of course. 
Of course, my mistake. I apologize. Please they don't get, diminish uh, this season. Quadruple. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then uh, I feel like – okay, so there was some conversation. Uh, you can go into this if you want to or not, but there's some kind of conversation about like Guardiola and the payments he's getting, and it does feel like with some of the reports we're hearing about City potentially being banned from the Champions League, again, I don't think that's going to happen. It does feel like the narrative is sort of shifting to, oh, Man City are doing nefarious things – and like maybe that's the thing that will bring them down. I guess I wonder if there's more interest in this stuff because every club does a lot of financial manipulation. There's a lot of irregularities. I think City are probably doing it more than yeah. many other clubs in the Premier League. But I do wonder if this is sort of of more interest because City have been so good that when you wonder like how do they eventually start losing, maybe the answer is because FIFA go after them and they have to sort of change the way they're doing business. Yeah, I think there's an, there might be a, a juncture down the line where they have to cool the jets a little bit on the spending. And as you touched on there, there has been some controversy probably over the last 10 years about the way in which they've spent money and the way they've troubled the FFP rules and the, the Etihad sponsorships, which were reportedly allegedly inflated. And the question that Pep Guardiola got uh, from uh, Rob Harris from AP um, after this game, asking whether he took additional payments from Abu Dhabi on top of his wages, which was something was, which was alleged of uh, Mancini. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, for, for a start off, Pep's never going to say, yes, you got me, guys. Hands right? up. I'm taking extra payments from Abu Dhabi. Uh, bring, bring over the handcuffs for me, please. That, that was, I don't know what the point of that question was. Apart it's a, from it's a liar, liar situation. He must tell the truth, and therefore he has to kind of come clean. Yeah, I mean, I mean there's always going to be this kind of thing floating around City. But also... I think it's sort of a double-edged sword because, yes, they throw around a lot of money, but so do other clubs. So do clubs like Man United. But the way in which City throw their money around, I think, is very commendable. The way in which they have this philosophy, they've had this 10-year plan, they've been building towards Pep Guardiola's arrival. They, they've signed the right kind of players. They don't sign Paul Pogba's because they, they'll get more Instagram followers. They don't sign Neymar's because, it, you know, all the commercial opportunities. They sign the right players for the, for, for the squad. And they, they kind of, even if you can say that... The, the, the soft power and the regime and all the controversy behind it on the field they're still kind of doing it the right way and they've got a master plan that can be admired am i being too too polite to them here um maybe maybe a little but i don't i i can't say for sure which i think is part of their sort of like mastery such as it is is that like i can't remember who you and i were having like a twitter conversation with where he was kind of talking about the players that city could have signed or were maybe interested in and didn't end up signing Mm -hmm. two of them being fred and uh alexis sanchez that they were heavily involved with and united i think kind of the prevailing narrative is united came in and gazumped them and got those players yeah and now you look how that worked out for united didn't necessarily work out for city and i sort of don't know if like if that was Man City just kind of not valuing them to the level that United did, and so then United end up getting those players, but it doesn't work out. Or if that is almost City's gamesmanship of like, oh yeah, we're totally interested in Alexis Sanchez, and we're going to drive up the price you're going to pay, but we don't actually want him. Like They have been that successful that I sort of am okay with believing that which i think is telling in and of itself that's an interesting approach to the to how they go about things as well it makes me think of virgil van dyke how close they were to signing him and how they went no we're not going to pay 75 million for him you're fine and now i think what if you had i think liverpool wouldn't have ran them anywhere near as close in the premier league if they had and maybe they'd still be have have their season still going in a certain uh, champions league competition that's possible as well isn't it so you know when you look at the sliding doors moment there that, that's an interesting <laughs> one to consider. 
Yes. And so, like, I think there there are lots of reasons to not enjoy Manchester City. If you are uh, a resident of Manchester and you wear red, that there's obvious reasons. But yeah. I think you cannot like them for their ownership group. You cannot like them for a lot of the stuff that they're alleged to have done. But until they're punished for it or until that, like, alleged part is removed, I, I guess I have a hard time – Sort of like letting that really factor into my like, are they are they secretly pe- playing Pep Guardiola? I don't know. Probably. I don't know other if other clubs are or are not doing that. But until they definitely are doing that, it feels sort of harsh to then be like, well, they're doing it all wrong and this isn't fair. Because I feel like it's kind of the game that we've chosen to support is the one that has lots of money in it. Yeah. But and we're, and we're all the- complicit in that. Even if we're not Man yeah. City fans, we're all part of this whole game where we're, we're watching this product week in, week out. And we're watching a, a Champions League sponsored by Gazprom. And we're watching it, you know, with other teams who have got other regimes backing them. And, you know, just I don't think it's necessarily the, the smartest thing to take a high and mighty approach to City. And there was there was um, a fan, uh, uh, there's a little clip going around on Twitter of a fan uh, Jumping into the um, media area at Wembley for the FA Cup final, he's, he's uh, saying, you know, oh, you're never going to cover us. You're just going to talk about Mo Salah. You're not going to talk mm-hmm. about how amazing we are. Sort of this massive uh, City have always had a chip on their shoulder for very different reasons back in the day, but they still kind of have it. But for different reasons, because they're lambasted for the way they've got there. But, you know, we're all kind of part of it and we all play the game, don't we? I mean, yeah, it's not like Manchester United got there through not spending money. Right. Same, same, same for Chelsea uh, as well. So, yes, I, I take your point. But I do then wonder, for you personally, Ryan, since you've followed this team, covered this team, uh, Daryl and I did our Premier League review show where we kind of gave grades to each team. And I gave Man City an A for the season. Uh, and I did factor in that, uh, like, I guess, yeah, poor result in the Champions League, especially for what their expectations were. We had some people criticize me for bringing Champions League into my discussion of the Premier League. Uh, My justification for that would be that, say, like for Arsenal, if they win the Europa League, they get Champions League places. Mm -hmm. That, to me, factors into how good their season was. But I guess I'm wondering to you then, with all that said, where would you give, what grade would you give City in terms of just Premier League results, Premier League performances? And then what grade would you give their overall season incorporating everything else they've done? Okay, so for just the Premier League, I mm-hmm. don't see how it can be any less than an A plus, frankly. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that's fair. Look at the kind of the season they've had. I think that that strong finish it, it speaks volumes how hard it is to get a run in and what was it, fourteen straight wins in the end. That's incredible. And I think part part of the reason it is incredible is because one of the biggest problems they had earlier in the season when they had those uh, losses in December where they lost a few league games to Palace and, and Leicester and whatnot. It was it, it was when Fernandinho wasn't there. It was like the anchorman wasn't there in the team and that was a big problem and he hasn't been there during a lot of the running and I think that has shown to me they've overcome their biggest weakness during this journey of this season and for me I think that shows the progress they've made and it shows how adaptable the squad is and I think it's a huge compliment to them that they're not necessarily 100% reliable on Fernandinho holding everything together which is something that has that this team has been accused of in the past and something I've accused them of uh, in the past too so for, for me definitely an, an A plus for that I mean 98 points and yeah. <laughs> everything they've done winning X amount of games by five plus goals and if we're going to move on to the season at large, I think I just slightly fade out that plus symbol. And it's going to go right. for an A just because the Champions League, I think for a team like Man City, it has to be the aim that they have. 
Uh, the quote from Pep Guardiola after the FA Cup final was, I love the Champions League, but to do the treble is more difficult than to win the Champions League. And we did it. And it's, mm-hmm. it might be a bit churlish to, to criticise him for saying that because the Champions League is the big one. But I kind of believe that. And you look at the way the Champions League has folded out in the past few years and even this season. When was the last time the best team in the Champions League won the Champions League? Been a while, hasn't it? You could argue. It's been right? a while. Like I go back to maybe like the last time Barcelona won it under Pep Guardiola is the last time in my yeah. mind that it was like the obviously dominant, definitely going to win it team ended up winning. Yeah, it. maybe I, I maybe stretch to say maybe Bayern Munich in 2013. They were pretty decent, that's weren't they? Yeah. So okay, so let's say it's, <laughs> that's a long time ago. Either way, mm-hmm. and I think the Champions League this season, particularly, has shown it's a bit of a crapshoot. Whereas you know, to be really good week in week out, to win domestic the two domestic tro- three domestic trophies, sorry Pep, and the and the Premier League as well. I think that's incredible. And it's just, I mean, A and A plus. Can you, can you, can you argue any lower than that, frankly? No, I don't think you can. And I, I would, I would agree with both of the, those grades. I probably should have gone A. It just, or I probably should have gone A plus for the Premier League in retrospect. What, so, could, what more could I'll, you have asked for them? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I just blended Champions League in with it, which made <laughs> sense to me. But I suppose if you're just going purely Premier League, A plus, 100% makes sense. But we also had some questions about Man City last week. We went through like, kind of what happens for some of their players. Mm. We have an answer, especially, uh, particularly when it comes to Vincent Company. Yeah. Uh, we thought maybe he would stick around for one more season. Instead, he will be moving to Anderlecht, where he will be the player manager. Ryan, I'm wondering if you have thoughts on, number one, uh, Vincent Company leaving Man City, what that might mean for them. But number two, where are you on player managers? Do, do you like this phenomenon, or do you think it is maybe not necessarily the best idea for Vincent Company? It's a rare phenomenon, isn't it? I mean, it is. there hasn't been... Well, the Premier, I'm trying to think of ones in the Premier League. Ryan Giggs, he was player manager, wasn't he? That didn't work out uh, so yeah, well. Yeah, yes, he was. Not so much. <laughs> I don't think he didn't end up playing I'm either. I'm trying to think uh, in, uh, for, uh, for himself. In the, yeah, that's, I, I think that might be something that happens to Vincent Company as well. I do remember well, at one point Ryan Giggs subbing himself on. I seem to remember that being a memory I during those, those final, was it eight games of the season? I think he, he did charge. score. I think that's what it was. And he had scored right. every season up until that one. There that's we go. right. Um, but, but in terms of the Premier League, Rude Hullet, I think, was Chelsea player manager. I might have to check that, but otherwise it's a very rare phenomenon. But I think to the point, I think I'd expect company... He doesn't, I don't think he has the ego to send himself on every week. I mean, he's going to be a better class than a lot of the Anderlecht players, I would guess. But like, I mean, he didn't didn't get the John Terry 26th minute guard of honour substitution. He went out in a sort of more classy way, and I expect that's more befitting of his character. And I don't see him hogging the limelight necessarily at Underlect. I think I see him building up his managerial credentials a little bit more and maybe stepping in here and there in an ancillary cup or something like that. Yeah, I, I think that, that makes sense to me. I think maybe it's just that he's not quite ready to hang it up as a player. Right. Uh, but I think I'm, I'm with you that he probably ends up... Uh, not subbing himself in with uh, the regularity that maybe other player managers might. Thierry Henry looking in your direction if he had been a player <laughs> manager at Monaco. But yeah. I am still surprised that this it's a move away from city and city football group. That maybe this is just like an opportunity that was right there that he couldn't not take. I, I, I believe he has uh, prior uh, experience with Anderlecht as a player. Yeah. So maybe it's, it is for him. It's a return home. It's a it return is. back to his country. It is. But yeah. it still felt like a, a, sort of shift in a way that I didn't see coming, that I expected him to be much more involved with City, especially with Man City, for the foreseeable future. So uh, good good luck to him, but definitely a surprise move for me. Oh, yeah, I think that uh, just given his history with the team, it's the one he sort of grew up with. So I can, I can see that being the one place he would go back to. But I don't think this is anywhere near the end of his Manchester City story. 
There's already uh, yes. betting market betting markets, excuse me, on him becoming the next city manager. So that's something to consider. I don't see that happening necessarily unless he gets off the real flyer with Underlecht. But uh, I, I could see him certainly coming back and being some kind of coach. You know, yeah. the, the Etihad uh, campus is growing and growing every year. And I and, and even in the All or Nothing documentary, we saw him coaching. I think it was the under seventeens, and we see him. You know, he's obviously a commanding presence, and I think that would be valued at City. Uh, in 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 a few years, so company leaves. Uh, he supposedly wants to take a few uh, various members of the staff with him. I don't know what impact that will have. But my question for you then becomes: like for Men City as a whole, what do you think it would have to happen for them to have like a, a significant downturn in form? Because I do think that if they won the Champions League and finished third next season, that's probably still a successful season for them because they've won the Champions League, which I think has been the goal since the hiring of Pep Guardiola, probably since uh, they took over in the first place. But I'm wondering, like, what do you think has to happen for us to see kind of the wheels come off the way we've seen them historically come off of teams that win the title, yeah. or win two titles in a row? It's It just feels more likely to me that City challenge for and or win a third consecutive title rather than fall off and finish fourth. Yeah, that's definitely the more likely path, it seems. And we, um, it's hard to get perspective on it, I think, from where we're standing right now because it looks like they'll never lose again. It looks like they're going to dominate for yeah. years and years and years. But historically, that doesn't really happen. I mean, yeah, Manchester United dominated the Premier League for the you know the late 90s and through. But I think all, all these successful arcs do come to an end and quite often it's when a team gets found out. I mean, look at, say, even the, the season that Leicester had when they won the Premier League. It was like they just kept doing it every single week and against the biggest teams and that they, they, they the plan kept working and then they kind of got found out didn't they and I don't I'm not saying that City City have much more quality and it's going to be more difficult yeah. to find them out it could be a fact that styles change and styles of you know the predominant styles in the game have changed throughout the years obviously so <sighs> this is a rambling answer of saying I have no idea they're probably going to keep dominating but if if they do it's going to be more to do with them getting found out and more to do with other teams getting stronger than necessarily City uh, and this style getting weaker yeah I, I think that that is all fair it's also fair of you to kind of give a rambling answer because it's a very <laughs> difficult question that yeah. I'm kind of throwing at you out of nowhere but it, <laughs> like but I think I, I take your point that like like if for every kind of past example of a team that had success and then didn't have success it it feels like there are extenuating circumstances that remove that. Like, yeah, Leicester, they did this thing and it worked really well, but teams found them out. Well, like, Watford maybe thought they found out Man City for about 20-something minutes, and then they definitely did not find them out. And, like, we've seen managers burn teams out or burn themselves out with clubs. It doesn't feel like that's the way it's going with Guardiola. It feels like he is kind of very much committed and still seems energized. We didn't even talk about the uh, like kind of post-match, uh, I'm not going to say confrontation, I'm going to say energetic exchange he had with Raheem Sterling after a 6-0 win. Yeah, he is just as focused. His players seem just as bought in. Hang on, so, I, I, I'm not actually buying into that though. The whole lecturing him while the celebrations going on on the field—that's theatre to me. Because if that was a true criticism, could that not have waited until he was in the dressing room to do that kind of thing? To me, that's him showing. Yeah, this is yeah. all about this is all about the, the discipline of these players, and that was yes. that was more for everybody else than for for Raheem Sterling, right? All right, that makes sense. Okay, I can, I can get down on that. I'm not saying like, it's a bad yeah. thing. I'm just saying that's part of the the theater of the whole thing. The theater of the whole thing. The yes. theater of so the whole I, thing, darling. I'm sure there will come a time when Man City eventually lose a game again and maybe do not win the title, but uh, I, I have a feeling it will be either Liverpool really just kind of reinforcing and getting that little bit two points stronger. Yeah. Um, but I do think it will take 
Guardiola burning out or maybe a key player getting injured or a couple key players getting injured or some combination thereof. But it's not really a thing I can necessarily say I see coming. There's other uh, managerial vacancies and kind of teams that I would like to speculate on in a little bit. But Ooh. first, I would like to talk about today's sponsor, SeatGeek. Uh, Ryan Bailey, we have many competitions coming up this summer. Uh, we've got the Gold Cup, Copa America, Africa Cup of Nations, Women's World Cup, the U17 World Cup. I'm wondering if you were going to use SeatGeek to buy tickets to one of those. Not saying you can buy tickets to all of them via SeatGeek. Some of them you can. Mm. Um, which one would you most want to attend, though? Which of those competitions? Uh, because I'm lazy and don't want to travel too far Taylor, I'm going to select the games in the group uh, in the Gold Cup Group Stage <laughs> okay. A. Uh, there's a double header happening in on June 23rd at the Bank of America Stadium. Canada versus Cuba and Martinique versus Mexico. Very oh well, you've actually you've actually done the research oh, on this one. I just <laughs> like that because they're very alliterative. Canada, Cuba, Martinique, Mexico. Big fan of that. Um, and uh, with SeatGeek, it makes it very easy to buy the tickets. I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of the way this website works. Not just listing tickets by how they're cheap cheap they are. You can get a rating of how good of value they are. Uh, in relation to where they are in the stadium. I like that a lot. I like the fact that you can toggle the price on and off. And speaking of price, the other <laughs> the other tickets I was looking at, Tay-Tay, was uh, for the Copper America. You can actually, yeah. believe it or not, SeatGeek has tickets for the Copper America listed. You can look this up, but they're rather expensive. The cheapest one I can see at the moment is for Uruguay versus Ecuador in Belo Horizonte, which is quite hard to get to, I think. That's uh, $973 a piece. So I think you might get slightly better value if you uh, plump for the Gold Cup for those tickets. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And I think that's true because I have evidence. Uh, we had a tweet from uh, Daniel Beamer just before we started recording. He said uh, basically that he usually skips podcast ads, but he doesn't skip ours, which we're very grateful Aww. for. Thank you, uh, thank you Daniel. Um, he says he got a great deal for the Gold Cup and can't wait to hear TSS's an- analysts and analysis whoops, and coverage throughout the tournament. Nice. Uh, he'll be going to uh, Nissan Stadium for Gold Cup games. Uh, so well done, Daniel. And well done to SeatGeek for making it uh, as easy as possible and as kind of reliable as possible. Uh, they have more than 50,000 five-star reviews in the App Store, so they're very focused on making your experience as positive as possible, mm-hmm. and I would say that their reviews reflect that. Ryan, uh, w- would you give them five stars? I know you've used SeatGeek in the past. I, of course, yeah, definitely five stars for me. I, I, I give five stars to every Uber driver, though, so it's not as a great endorsement for me because I'm, I'm too British to, uh, to give anyone less than five, but that's not speaking to the quality of SeatGeek because they are rather excellent, and I'm a very big fan of the work they do, Taylor. There we are. And best of all, our listeners can get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Uh, SeatGeek supports us. We hope you'll support them. Use our promo code TSS for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. You can use that for concert tickets, sports, comedy, whatever you want. Remember, that's promo code TSS for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Thank you very much to SeatGeek for sponsoring today's episode. Before we talk more soccer, Ryan, I have another question, though. If you give the Uber driver... uh, Five stars every time. Do you also, when you go to like the bodega or like the little market or whatever, and they have the like swipe screen where you can tip the person who's standing behind the counter, do you feel the motivation to tip the person who's standing behind the counter? That gives me great anxiety when they, they really, turn, yeah, me too. When me they too. turn the iPad around, like there's a there's a coffee shop near me that does that, and they just yeah. spin the iPad around. It's like twenty percent, twenty five percent, no <laughs> yeah, tip. Yeah, they always check it up too. And it's like oh, it's like, even at Domino's, right? When I go to Domino's to pick up a pizza, it's always like, how much do you want to tip us? I was like, well, you know, you just handed or just exchanged the cash. I don't know. <laughs> Like, well, I, I'm, I'm British. I don't know the etiquette there. You're, I mean, it's obviously good to tip, but where do you, where do you draw the line? And it, it, it does make me anxious. 
it, it makes me anxious for sure. Like I will tip on pickup because I like to think that it, the way like the kitchen crew gets some of that. The kitchen sure. that I used to work in, we did, so that's where that comes from. But the one where like I'll go into the little store, I'll get like a six pack of beer and a bottle of wine or something, and then Ooh, good night. I put it on the counter. They ring it up, and then there's the opportunity to tip. I get a little bit more confused about that one. I would love to hear what listeners think and what listeners' approach is. They could perhaps incorporate uh, that into their pricing, perhaps, and make it less anxiety-ridden that, for us. That would be nice. That would be nice. <laughs> I do find myself justifying it. Like, well, he did ask me if I wanted a bag. That probably is worth 15%. Like, I don't know where that comes from, but yeah. that's just me trying to find a way to make sense of it all. Well, funnily, uh, funnily so instead, enough, um, I've actually, I, I actually got a red eye from Las Vegas. I've been in Las Vegas this weekend, so I'm feeling super fresh right now. But that is uh-huh. very much the land of tipping. That's the one place where I feel I have to have some ones and stuff in my pocket because everybody wants a hand out there. I'm glad that you feel super refreshed and ready to go and are are flush with cash. So I look forward to getting tips for any good points I make on the show. Wonderful. Oh, oh, not anymore. That's how the weekend went? I was just having a micro sleep there based on my 58 minutes of sleep on my flight. Go on. Fun. All right. Well, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you being here to talk uh, about Bayern Munich's uh, yet again triumph in the Bundesliga. Yay. They crush Eintracht Frankfurt 5-1. to one. They win yet another Bundesliga title. They could still do the double. Uh, but my question for you, Ryan, is it's a strange weekend again because it's the departure of Robin Ribery, Rafinha. They're leaving. Mm. It feels like Niko Kovac, he's able to kind of find a way through from nine points down. We talked about it last week. They end up getting the Bundesliga title. And yet there are still rumblings that even if they win the DFB Pokal, it may not be Niko Kovac in charge of Bayern Munich next season. Where, what do you make of those rumors? And I guess what I'm asking is, do you expect Niko Kovac to be in charge for prison f- preseason for the beginning of the Bundesliga next year? It's a tricky question, isn't it? I mean, uh, one wouldn't expect they could win, yeah, the double or whatnot and, and, and still and have that incredible second half of the season and he could still lose his job. It's incredible to think. I suppose the, the resounding logic is that is he the right man for the rebuild because yep. there's a general consensus that a rebuild is on the way. I mean, we've already bought what Lucas Hernandez and Benjamin Pavard uh, so, but I'm guessing they're going to want to get some... And then Jan Fiat Alp, I think, was confirmed today that he's leaving and joining Bayern Munich as well. So they've already got three three people coming through. There yeah. you go. Okay, so it's it's beginning already. Mm. But, I mean, the I suppose the question is, they'd have to hold out for someone really big. And the biggest news of a departure we've had this weekend would be Allegri. So is it going to be Allegri? Yeah. There's some speculation that it's Allegri. There's, I guess he has a lot of admirers in, in uh, Germany and in Bayern Munich. Also, I think um, Mauricio Pochettino apparently continues to get sort of some glances in his direction from the okay. Bayern board. Um, and, and, and I guess that's I, – I think there is a little bit of fire where there's smoke or whatever in this situation. I forget how that expression goes and I forget every single time I try to use it. Um, <laughs> but I feel like we just keep hearing – like all of the coverage about this this uh, this championship was about like oh the players are really happy but they still have some concerns there's still lingering doubts there was even like analysis of I think uh, Robin ran like 30 yards to pour a thing of beer on Niko Kovac and it was still this whole analysis of like oh but like they didn't really seem like he enjoyed it Niko Kovac didn't really respond Robin wasn't really like laughing about it like when you're breaking it down to that level it feels like there's a lot of attention on it and it does feel like that's not coming from nowhere. So whether that's Uli Hunas or Karlheinz Rummenigge um, getting involved and maybe kind of leaking a few things to the press, I'm not sure. But it does feel like there is some justification for the speculation about what happens with Niko Kovac. And I think you're absolutely right, though. I think a big part of it is, 
is he the one you want in charge when you're trying to lure in big names and new talent? Yeah. Uh, and when you're trying to get rid of players, other players that they don't want there anymore who are on too big of wages or don't quite fit, but he is happy to have them stick around. I think all of that probably will come into the equation, and I think he's definitely going to need to win the DFB Pokal, as strange as it sounds, to really give himself a good position to stand on when it comes to kind of justifying his continued employment at Bayern Munich. Yeah, and that's no given, of course, because they did draw, they had a goalless draw of RB Leipzig uh, last week, mm-hmm. so n- not given that one. It's a very odd situation. I see whatever happens, I think Kovac is set up. He's going to be okay next season because he's not exactly going to be leaving in shame if he does leave from uh, Bayern Munich, right. having secured their seventh straight title. All right, I like that. So basically what I have is a list in front of me of clubs where there is some... Some speculation, some rumor that maybe they will either like they won't have their manager or their manager that they currently have will leave. And then that go- extends to clubs who are definitely already confirmed they'll have a new manager. So I've got this list. I'm going to kind of ask them to you as we go okay. and then see maybe after we get that list done. Then I'm going to ask you if you think they'll still be there come January of 2020. And so, then we can replay we can, this in January and see how exactly. humiliatingly wrong it is. It's always very, very fun. Oh, we should add, <laughs> add um, Bundesliga, like regular season is over. Uh, Stuttgart, who finished what I guess in, not in the relegation zone, but in the, in the relegation playoff yeah. zone. Uh, they will be playing Union Berlin this week, uh, for that kind of final Bundesliga spot. Uh, but we will not be back next week to review that one. I think we're going to take the week off from week reviews, uh, because we kind of reached the end of the season, Ryan. I think we've earned it. I think we've earned the right. Yeah, sure. We should, we should head to the beach. Which beach are we going to? Uh, I, not Virginia Beach, so whatever you prefer. <laughs> that, that is my answer. My answer is always not Virginia Beach. Was that your awkward way um, saying I can't come to the beach with you? Uh, yes, that is that is my, <laughs> my indirect way of doing that one. Uh, you're going to drop trophies on me, but you will give me dollar bills. So, yeah, maybe you can come. That's fine, too. All right. Um, I want to go to the uh, the very obvious spot next. I want to go to Turkey, not just to celebrate uh, that Galatasaray will likely win the Super League again. That's mm. my team, so I'm excited about that. But because I want to talk Tyler Boyd, um, I have followed him a little bit, I'll be totally honest, not nearly as much as many people on Twitter appear to have. Uh, Ryan, I'm not sure how familiar you were prior to me saying, hey, we should probably talk about Tyler Boyd uh, via text yesterday. But he completes his one-time switch from New Zealand to represent the United States. He's been playing on loan for Ankara Gaju in Turkey. Yeah. Um, Ryan, how much opportunity have you had in the last like 12 to 24 hours uh, <laughs> to watch Tyler Boyd and kind of uh, get more familiar with him? Uh, certainly, I've watched Especially him. you had 40 amount of YouTube and uh, uh, there's that clip going around of a goal he scored in the last round of games which was pretty impressive but it's just mm-hmm. it's hard to know without watching a play like that week in week out which I must admit I'm sorry I don't watch the Turkish Super League every single week it's hard to no. know the kind of impression he makes I also haven't caught a lot of New Zealand internationals because they don't tend to play that many certainly not any competitive awesome. ones um, but I mean my, I suppose my question for you Tate is mm-hmm. if he does make it into this USMNT squad what impact does he have? Who does he take out? Because, you know, he's a left winger. I mean, he's not going to be taking Pulisic's place on the left. Is he, mm-hmm. is he going to be like an Ariola kind of figure, a wing back? What, 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 do you, what do you expect he impact he would have if he did come in? So we're in a strange situation. Uh, we talked about this, Daryl and I did, because Daryl and I recorded 
a show for Tuesday before Ryan and I recorded this show on Monday. Uh, and that one does kind of include uh, the Gold Cup preliminary roster is out. It's 40 players. Uh, Tyler Boyd is on that list. So we talk about it a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the answer is I think he – I said he was a little bit like Paul Ariola. I think Daryl thought he had a bit more kind of attacking bite and uh, goal-scoring ability to his game. But I think you're, you're right that he's probably not going to replace Christian Pulisic. So then it's where does he get used? And I think it will be – either wing, depending on what Greg Berhalter wants to do with him, but I do think he makes this squad. I think this one-time switch doesn't really make much sense in terms of its timing, aside from him being included in the Gold Cup squad, or at least the kind of provisional, maybe that he calls in 26 players and sees who fits where, and then he names that final 23-player roster. So I think Greg Berhalter will have some time. I think he probably knocks out, Daryl and I talked about this, say a player like Kenny Saif, who did the same thing last year, did the one-time switch, was in the Gold Cup, we haven't seen much of him, is not in this provisional roster. So I think it's sort of Greg Berhalter looking at some players who are on the bubble and including the ones that he either hasn't seen enough of, say Jonathan Amon, uh, or hasn't seen at all, like Tyler Boyd. Yeah. And then maybe not calling in some people who he thinks he's seen enough of or knows don't fit his system. So I think it's it's exciting theoretically, but I will say – Forgive me, I'm, I'm going long here, but like I will say the reaction I saw on Twitter when this news was announced was so excited and so enthusiastic yeah. that for a moment I was very confused and thought like, wait, is this – did we get a player who's like starting for one of the biggest clubs in Turkey and I've just missed it? Or did we get a player who like really, really, really like is guaranteed to be a starter? And I, I guess I'm still not there. And I think I'm with you that part of that is that even I watch the Super League from time to time. I can't claim to have watched a lot of Ankara Guju because why would you? Uh, but – he, from what the footage I've seen, he looks like a good player. He looks like he can definitely score goals. He takes their set pieces. But he is not the type of player that I think stands out as a like game changer. He's going to come kind of completely change the way things are happening. He's going to score goals. He's going to kind of dictate the run of play. I think he'll be a good role player for the U.S., uh, but I don't necessarily know if I have the confidence to say, like, he's a guaranteed starter for them and this is yeah. a huge, huge acquisition for U.S. soccer. I think I'm with you there. I think I was uh, surprised by the excitement. I mean, obviously, when a new sort of dual national comes up, and there's, there's always talk and excitement mm-hmm. about it. But I think you have to temper expectations on what is you know, a 24-year-old who nearly got relegated from the Turkish Super League who we haven't seen an awful lot of and who doesn't necessarily solve a problem that needs answering in the squad. Yeah. No, yeah. And 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 I think so I look forward to seeing what he does if he does get make it into that final roster or at least the like 26 man training roster. I look forward to seeing what he does there. And then the biggest thing I'll be looking for is what happens for him this summer away from national team duty. Uh, as I said, he's on loan at Ankara Gaju from Vitoria Guimarães in Portugal. Mm. Um I would I would honestly hope even though he had a, a strong season with Ankara, uh he was loaned there for the second half of the season, 13 games, 5 goals, 4 assists. I would hope that he doesn't go back there. Um, and I don't mean that – I guess I mean that kind of as a shot at Ankara Gaju. Like I'll put it this way. When I was studying abroad in 2005, so a long time ago, like they trained at my university because my school had better facilities than they did a professional team. Ooh. Like Ankara is not a well-supported city when it comes to soccer. Turkey as a whole, you tend to support a team from Istanbul regardless of where you live yeah. with a few exceptions. But So I think if he goes back to Turkey, I would want to see him move to a – bigger club, not necessarily Galatasaray, Fenerbahce, even Besiktas, but somebody on that next level where maybe like he's kind of, you're seeing him, the appraisal of his abilities go up, but he's kind of playing in 
a stronger team, or I'd rather see him stay in Portugal and see what he can do there. But I, I do think this summer will tell us a bit more about what his club career is going to look like and kind of what his the valuation of his abilities has been so far. Yeah, and while we're talking about Turkey, by the way, I thought we were all in line for a big surprise Super League winner in Istanbul, Bezikşehir, but that doesn't look like it's happening anymore, right? No, I think unless Galatasaray lose by a lot and Bashakshahir win by a lot on the final day, yeah. I think it's three points separate, but the goal difference is one of those, like one would have to lose by eight and the other would have to win by it's six. A, it's a 10 goal like swing, that. yeah. There we go. Uh, yeah, but it would have been really interesting because Bashakshahir, I almost asked you this, like what player would you want to add to them? Because they've got a very strange roster. That's the one that has, say, Adebayor in it. Yeah. They've got Emre Belzolu. They've, they've got Arda Turan who pulled a gun on somebody in a club and then maybe <laughs> also in a hospital. Uh, there's a f- Oh, R- Robinho is there. That Robinho is there. Gail yeah. Clichy is there. It's a very strange squad who I believe were uh, top of the table for a good long while this season. I think maybe just the kind of age and maybe some of the chaos that some of those names would bring eventually caught up to them. It seems like, does all, all like their, all their players marked. are either 34 years old or 18 years old, it seems to me. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's, a, it's so strange. They're <laughs> such a weird team. So maybe that's what they need. They need uh, Tyler Boyd. He's 24 years old. You can put him in there. He'll be 25 next season. Perfect. He's bridging the gap. Why not? <laughs> and he gets to live in Istanbul as opposed to Ankara. That's always the dream. Uh, we've got... Many other leagues to discuss, or at least a few other leagues to discuss. But first, we should talk about today's sponsor, uh, Hims. Well, you've heard us talking about Hims. If you haven't, it's time to get on board and stop struggling. Sexual performance issues are common. They're more common than you think. One in four guys suffer from ED, but it can be treated. Over 25% of new ED cases are guys under 40. Guys like you and me, Tete. That's, that's our age group. Don't deny it. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we're we're getting older, man. We got to take care of yourself. You got to find uh, find the issues or find the solutions to these issues before they kind of dominate your entire life. Because it's too you're too young for them to dominate your entire life. Uh, and the best thing about hymns is that they help you find those solutions without having to go to sketchy, sketchy spl- marketplaces. We've talked about gas stations in the past, yep. but they uh, instead for hymns provides convenient access to U.S. doctors online, real medicine dispensed from American pharmacies, so you do not have to, yeah, as I said, like hope that it's the right pill. You don't have to kind of like avert your eyes as you sign into your doctor or wait in line at the pharmacy. Hims kind of has you covered from start to finish to make your life that much easier. Absolutely. And you say it is the right stuff here. It's sildenafil, which is the active ingredient in Viagra. It can be prescribed for men online and delivered right to their door. It's completely confidential and discreet, as you say. No more of those awkward in-person doctor's visits where Taylor likes to, to tell the receptionist everything and his long list of problems and his fears <laughs> when he gets to the uh, doctor's <laughs> office, as we've discovered in previous episodes. It's 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 the conundrum I would say of like like as they're like the seat geek copy points indicate is that like it's more common than you think it happens to more people than you'd expect, but there's still just the stigma. But I think that extends to like any sort of reason for visiting the do- doctor. No one ever wants to be like, I've got a rash that I need checked out. Like you're always gonna be like, there's an issue with my elbow. I don't know. That's the easiest way to put it. So <laughs> I feel like that's where hymns is kind of genius. That like even though it shouldn't be, there shouldn't be a stigma, there shouldn't be weirdness about it, there still is. And so you can kind of work towards having that not be the case, but you can also make it discreet and easy, which is what Hims is doing. Yep. They're also making it easy to uh, save money uh, because the first month of Hims is just $5. They'll get you started for just 5 bucks while supplies last and subject to doctor approval. You could, should see the website for full details and safety information. This could cost hundreds if you went to a doctor or a pharmacy. And if you want to get involved, it's for 
4hims.com slash totalsoccered. That's 4hims, that's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash totalsoccered. 4hims.com slash totalsoccered. I like saying it three times, no idea why. First month, as you say, just $5. 4hims.com is the one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual awareness for men. Sexual wellness, I should say, and awareness. Should be aware of your you wellness. You can say both. You can say both. So thank you to him <laughs> for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you to Ryan Bailey for that lovely, lovely reading. Uh, now let's get back to our discussion of like kind of the end of the season slash looking forward to uh, next season uh, in Serie A. We mm. had Juventus draw, but doesn't really matter. Uh, they are very much uh, Serie A champions, uh, which led to Cristiano Ronaldo dropping trophies on small children's. Faces. It was more of a. It, it slipped. It slipped out. He didn't like drop it from a great height. Not like Sergio Ramos throwing it off a bus. It was more like just a, a little slip, but it's a very sharp edge, and it goes right in poor Cristiano Jr.'s eye. And Cristiano's mum is behind him. Is like, oh, it's not what you want to see. I'd rather. I mean, it's we've seen some ugly scenes celebrating this weekend. We've seen that. We've seen Raheem Sterling getting told off in front of everybody at the FA Cup. Whatever next, Tate. Whatever next. It's it's dramatic scenes. Niko Kovac almost drowning slash being waterboarded uh, from beer from Arjen Robin. Yeah, it's been it's been dramatic. What, do you, what been... are your thoughts on the whole Bundesliga beer thing? I know we touched on it earlier, but is it is it? A, I mean, it seems like a lot of the players don't enjoy it, and a lot of the the uh, the Thomas Mullers out there get far too much joy from it. Yeah, I mean, I I I enjoy it, but I also think it's hilarious to watch a bunch of people who probably don't drink that much alcohol or encourage not to drink alcohol. Yeah. Uh, you know, enjoy throwing it around. And then there are players like Frank Ribéry, who's Muslim, who probably don't love that tradition as much as some of the other people who yes. are not Muslim. So, uh, yeah, I think it's it's uh, things you got to take in consideration. But I guess in the Bundesliga, it's tradition. So, yeah, why not? Let's keep it going. Uh, if, if we have a particularly good show, I'm going to drive down there and dump an entire boot of beer on you. How about that, Ryan? That sounds, that sounds just what I need right now. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, have, I spent the weekend in Las Vegas. That's basically what I was doing anyway. That also checks out. Uh, <laughs> although I assume instead of beer, it was overpriced cocktails. Uh, yes, very, very, very sugary, low alcohol content cocktails. Yes, there we are. <laughs> All right, so uh, back to Serie A for a moment. Uh, Inter Milan have already, it seems, uh, gotten some business sorted. The reporting today was that Antonio Conte will take over there mm. next season. I guess that means bye bye to Luciano Spalletti. Um, it does feel like that's the first managerial piece that's sort of fallen into place that you can kind of remove him from the board. If this move does actually end up happening, I think it probably will. Uh, then, like, suddenly that's one fewer name that's going to be linked with every single club. So I'm going to say Conte will be at Inter Milan. My question for you then, Ryan, is is he there in January of 2020? Well, we know that Inter Milan are famous for making extremely good decisions in all departments, mm-hmm. so why not? <laughs> So you're saying he will be there? <laughs> I'm saying I have Still no employed. I mean, it depends how they take to him. Because he obviously, uh, he can be an abrasive personality, can Conte. So it, if, his, if his squad warmed to him, if, uh, if, if certain Inter Milan players uh, warmed to him or not is, is the big question, isn't it? Certain ones who yeah. maybe their agent has made them not play for certain periods of time. So time will tell on that one. Yeah, I think it's uh, he has prior with the sporting director Beppe Morata, I think it is, uh, from when they were both at Juventus together. So maybe he'll get that backing and support. But I think you're absolutely right that, as we've seen with Antonio Conte, if the team buys in, the team wins the league. If the team does not buy in, then Antonio Conte gets fired. That's pretty much what we saw at Chelsea. We'll see if that ends up being the case with him at Inter. Yeah. But it does feel like we know there's going to be managerial vacancy uh, at Roma. Maybe there will be one at Milan. It seems like they're going to stick with Gattuso. 
And it, there is going to be one at Juventus. Max Allegri will be leaving. Um, so let's go to Juve, Ryan, because they were one of the ones who was linked. They were linked with Antonio Conte, uh, a return to Juventus for him. Instead, mm. it seems like he'll be with Inter. So who would you expect to see at Juve? Uh, and if you need a moment to think about it, I do have another name for you that's suddenly risen to the top of the uh, the betting odds. Well, I think one of the good ones is Max Allegri. He's going to be free this summer. Maybe they should get him back yeah. again. Uh, that, that's yeah. an option. I, I think I he think, does really good things in Italy. Yeah, so I've heard. So very good in Turin. But one of the names I think has been floated around, which I don't think will happen, is Jose Mourinho, given his that's previous... That's what I'm talking about. Well, he's, yep. I think he's got a bit of previous with Juve, hasn't he? So I don't think that would work out. I mean, do you see that? I don't see that. No, I, no, I think it's it's that. I guess Ronaldo has either come out or has said, you know, to whomever is relevant that he would like Jose Mourinho. That that's a managerial appointment that works, oh, and I think he has the backing of George Mendes as well. Uh, Mourinho is a Mendes client, mm-hmm. but Juve do a lot of business with Mendes clients. So those two people being on board, I think, is where a lot of that speculation comes from. It does feel like a league where he or like a a move that would make sense for Mourinho because Juve are just so dominant in that league. That they're like not going to suddenly be, or they're not suddenly going to be not dominant. There it is. So like he could go there and do what he wants and probably still win the league. But I also think that if he goes there and is super defensive and kind of does Mourinho things and already has the relationship he already has with Juve, as you've alluded to, I don't know if they necessarily love that. I don't know if the fans 100% buy in. Uh, so I don't think that's necessarily going to happen, but that it leaves the kind of door open for who does take over Juventus, and I don't really have an answer. So I'm comfortable saying Mourinho just for expediency's sake. Why, but why couldn't Conte go back there right is the question. Throat. Why wouldn't he go back? I'm going to guess money. I'm going to guess Inter probably threw a lot of money at Antonio Conte or gave him a lot more freedom. Maybe. That would be my guess. But, I mean, if he wants to win the Champions League, which presumably he does, that's his best shot of doing it, right? Uh, with Juventus? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah, I think that's probably makes sense given the the depth uh, like they already have. Uh, then they're bringing in, uh, say, Aaron Ramsey on a free. Mm. That's going to strengthen them. They're linked with Jerome Boateng, who's definitely going to move from Bayern this summer. That definitely gives them a bit more more strength. It feels like those are the types of moves they're going to be making. Yeah, whether or not that gives them enough to win the Champions League, I don't know. Maybe whereas Inter gave him guarantees of money to be spent and backing in the transfer market. I guess we'll find out uh, in January of 2020. But in the meantime, who, if you had to pick right now, who do you think takes over at Juve? I've absolutely no idea. I've gone blank completely. Go. I mean, Mar- I'm just going to say, I'm just going to put Mourinho in there. Mourinho. There I mean, even though I don't think it will work, and I don't think it's a good idea, probably Mourinho. Uh, that so it's Mourinho or the other one that definitely is getting a lot of headlines is uh, Maurizio Sarri potentially leaving Chelsea. That still seems like a rumor. So yeah. it could be Maurizio Sarri at Chelsea, which then opens the door to who then moves to Chelsea. Maybe that's Jose Mourinho. Fourth time's the charm. Well, I can see that. I can see Allegri going to Chelsea and then Sarri going back to Italy. But I think Chelsea should stick with Sarri, frankly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think we, we've, we've definitely covered that on this show. I think they absolutely should, especially given what he's been able to do in a difficult season, that they still have Champions League. They may still have one more window to sign some people. We shall see. Yep. Uh, but, like, I, I feel like they should stick with him. If they don't, I think it's a big mistake. But I think you're right that that 
suddenly, again, it's kind of like boxes getting ticked, things falling into place. That yeah, Allegri to Chelsea, sorry to Juve. Then if sorry does go to uh, to Juve, I think Chelsea don't have to pay him nearly as much as they would if they just fired him. Right. So maybe that works for them as well. And suddenly, okay, so suddenly things are making a bit more sense. It's all Italians on the move right now. Um, what about? All right, let me ask you this, Ryan. Uh, we're gonna jump way ahead to January of 2020. What about Manchester United? Is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer still at Manchester United next January? Uh, well, let's say they're. I, I think they're gonna start the season badly. I mean, it's probably gonna yep. sound terrible if a couple of months in when they're leading the table. But I could see a situation when like United are in like 13th and 14th in mid November, and he and he gets he gets he gets going because I think right. frankly they should replace him this summer. Is my opinion. So if if they were to do that, are you of the mind that they should just throw a bunch of money at Pochettino this summer? Yeah, I think that's exactly what they should do. I think that's, he's been their long-term target for a while. We know that Manchester United don't necessarily think in long-term and strategy, but that's, maybe they should give that a shot with this one in particular. And I think Pochettino might have the perfect spring ball to jump off because if they win, I think I've said this before on the show, if Tottenham win the Champions League, that's the perfect drop the mic walk away. If they don't, it might be the moment where he says... Well, you know, I could go to Man United, build something up and actually have a bunch of cash to do it with, which is something I'm never going to have at Tottenham. So I think it's the perfect time to kind of, kind of poach him. Yes, they'll be taking a hit on Solskjaer, but the cost of which is not being 14th in mid-November. <laughs> that that would be that would be ideal. Or you could just plan on being there in mid-November and then you just throw even more money at Pochettino, uh, presuming he's still there. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't seem like he'll be necessarily moving anywhere in Spain. Ernesto Valverde, there was some talk that maybe Barcelona weren't too thrilled with him. It does feel like they're at least going to give him the start of next season. And with the investment they've already made, that makes sense. Frankie de Jong already on the way. Uh, the reporting today is that Matias de Litz will be joining him for yeah. around 70 million euros. Uh, and then obviously the big one, Antoine Griezmann, I guess not necessarily confirmed, other than that he is leaving Atleti, uh, but definitely seems like Barcelona is the destination for him, especially given PSG. Some of the financial issues they're currently dealing with, they probably don't want more attention on them. They're also dealing with Kylian Mbappe, who suddenly apparently wants to leave. Oh, yeah. Uh, So I think Barcelona, much stronger, so maybe they won't be needing a manager uh, unless things go horribly wrong. Uh, Real Madrid, for their part, uh, seems to put all of their stock into Zinedine Zidane, who has done the opposite of that with Gareth Bale. (laughs) It seems like it's an ever-present point of conversation on, on our weekend reviews, is Gareth Bale uh, because Madrid lost their season finale 2-0 at home to Rabatis. That should have been a bigger deal, I feel like, that losing at home on the final day when you're trying to kind of show like, no, things are going to change. If anything, it feels like it ends being like things have to change. And Gareth Bale seems like he'll be one of the ones who is. He did not get any minutes in this game, did not get the farewell that some people thought he might get. A lot of people thought he deserved. Um, His contract is still such that he's getting paid an insane amount of money. It is not done until 2021, 2022, I think. So he said he doesn't plan to go anywhere. I think he straight up said, like, I'm happy to play golf if that's what they want me to do. So he doesn't seem motivated to take a pay cut to head out. Madrid definitely seemed like they want to get rid of him. But then they're still doing this Real Madrid thing of, like, wanting to get rid, but then also refusing to cut his asking price. Like, I think Bayern Munich were linked with him, and were, like, maybe willing to possibly entertain the idea of paying $70 million, but that's still several, several, several many million pounds or euros lower than what Real Madrid value him and as. And that's still so too guess, high as well. <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. So I just don't see... 
especially when they can go out and I think they're going to end up going after Leroy Sana is I, the reporting that I buy into. Yeah. I, that feels like a move that Bayern Munich would try to make. Whether or not they'll be successful, I don't know. But it then leaves me wondering. It's basically like maybe Gareth Bale goes back to Spurs. That seems like it could be a very bad idea and unsettle the squad. Maybe it's a make weight for Eriksen or Kane or some such to move. But even then, that feels like a downgrade for Spurs. United keep getting linked. I I would not love that move. I just I don't see how this resolves, and it feels like it's going to. I think Madrid are going to be one of the most interesting teams to watch this summer because yeah. they so obviously need to spend to keep pace with Barcelona, but also have to get rid of some of these players because it's just such a strange squad right now. I think I think uh, Gareth Bale is is a scapegoat for a lot of Real Madrid's problems. I mean that was the twelfth yep. defeat of the season, that embarrassing uh, defeat on the last day to Real Batiste, has finished nineteen points behind Barcelona, and I get why he's a scapegoat because he does look like he's putting in less effort, doesn't seem to engage with anything right now. And obviously, he's on a lot of money. And but at the same time, I feel sorry for him because I feel like he knows the situation he's in. I feel like he knows that uh, it's pretty. It's, Tottenham will be making a mistake to bring in a player like him. And Bayern Munich, as much as they might want to get a nice wide player this summer, that would be far too much for him. And he's just—he's a calculated risk in the amount of injuries that he's had. And you know that's—and uh, it's—it's very sad the way that his Madrid career seems to be winding down a player who's had quite a lot of impact for them when he has been fit you know four Champions League scoring a really nice goal in the Champions League final it seems like to not even go around the field to do the 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 standing ovation for the fans at the end of the game and to be an unused substitute it's a bit demoralizing and I can I'm not sure about the veracity of those quotes about him saying oh I'll just um they got to pay me 17 million euros a year for the next three years I'll just go and play golf I mean I'm not sure if that's true, but at the same time, I don't know if I was Gareth Bale, what else I think I could do. Do I want to go and try and prove myself with another huge contract somewhere else? Or do I really just want to go and play golf in Spain, which is a very nice way of living and getting paid very well for it? I can understand why he might not feel motivated because he might feel a bit trapped right now. Does that make sense? It absolutely does because it's it's just such a a quagmire of a situation because, yeah, like if you leave – and you want to stay like on the wages you're on, it necessitates moving to either a club like PSG in the past, like maybe Monaco if they're trying to reestablish that footprint, or a team that's willing to spend a ton of money. Otherwise, it kind of requires you to take a pay cut, which maybe you don't want to do. But then you do have that kind of attention like, oh, he's taking a pay cut. He's trying to reestablish himself. Do you ha- Does he have that drive? Is that a thing he really wants to do? I don't know. And I just feel like because... There's so many variables in there. I just don't know which way it goes or what he ends up deciding. I think for Zidane, though, we are recording this in the wake of the Game of Thrones finale. No spoilers. But I will say, like, you learn from Game of Thrones. You got to play the game a little bit. You got to be a little bit diplomatic. You got to be wise with what you're saying. And I feel like if you're going to publicly scapegoat somebody, as he has, mm. he the the whole like if I had a four sub, uh, I wouldn't have used it on Bale. I think that did not actually happen. That was reported a little bit yesterday or this weekend. But so he didn't say that. But I think he's made it very clear. Zidane has that he does not want Gareth Bale. But then there's that risk of like if you kind of. Like it's got, we got to get rid of this guy. This is the thing. This this is the albatross. This is the albatross. And then you get rid of the albatross, and it turns out it's not the issue. Then you suddenly set yourself up to be in a very sticky situation. So again, that's why I think it's going to be a fascinating summer because if Zidane does eventually manage to get rid of Gareth Bale, I, he's got to find a way to make that Madrid team look very strong on opening day, especially given, as I said, what Barcelona have already done. If he doesn't, then he's got to find a way to sort of like. 
overcome that and not necessarily continue to use it as his, well, Gareth Bale isn't doing what I want, so that justifies why we're 30 points behind Barcelona in April. Yeah, it's a sad state of affairs, isn't it? And I think Gareth Bale has has himself to blame. I mean, it seems like in all these years he hasn't learned a lick of Spanish. It seems like he doesn't ingratiate himself with the team, doesn't do team building very much. It doesn't, you know, he's got kind of maybe a lot of this situation is his own doing, but... I don't know. I'd be interested about the albatross thing, whether if the albatross is lifted from Zidane's neck, how they do respond. And maybe it's just a case of buying the rest of the Ajax players who haven't been bought by Barcelona yet. So maybe, you know, maybe, maybe it's Danny DeWitt or David Neres or uh, Van der Beek. Maybe they get Dusan Tadic him. He seems to be a new man. But I, yeah, they, I don't they know. better hurry up. That's what I have to say to that. <laughs> yeah, they they're, do, run, yeah. they're running out of options to sign. I think Barcelona are going to get them all. <laughs> um, if Madrid fans do need reason for optimism, uh, final thing I wanted to discuss on today's show, uh, I guess they can enjoy uh, Barcelona's 4-1 to loss to Lyon in the Women's Champions League final. Uh, a dominating performance from Lyon. I, I, I looked it up. Ryan, do you know how many uh, Champions League titles this was in, the ro- in a row for Lyon? Uh, it's four. It is four straight. Do you know how many league titles they've won in a row? Uh, that one I did. I knew even less and had to do a lot more counting. I don't know. I know that the, it's Jean-Michel Alas, isn't it? The Leon president very much has invested mm-hmm. in this as a long-term project. I'm going to guess this is their 40th league title in a row. <laughs> <laughs> I like the overshooting for dramatic. Uh, 13 straight league titles. That's a lot. So... Leon doing pretty well, and they've got uh, a lot of high-profile names in that squad. Amadine Henri and Wendy Renard you'll be able to see for France. Yeah. Um, the, the, the biggest one is one of the more interesting ones. Uh, Ada Hegerberg, uh, who of Norway, uh, is the reigning Ballon d'Or winner. Scored a hat-trick, a first-half hat-trick. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Leon were up 4-0, I think, in the first like 35 or so minutes. So a very dominant performance from them, as is to be expected. But worth reminding everybody, Ada Hegerberg uh, could play for Norway. Norway will be at the World Cup. She will not be playing with them. She has been uh, protesting the Norwegian FA since, I believe, 2017 uh, due to uh, pay inequality and just overall inequality between the men's and women's sides of the game in Norway. Uh, I think they've taken steps in the right direction to equalize the pay, but I think they have not gone far enough. So she is still sitting out. So the Ballon d'Or winner will not be involved in the Women's World Cup, but at least she can take solace in uh, winning the Champions League yet again with Lyon. And uh, take solace in being a person of principle. That's good. Also that. Also that, yes. Not to say that, you know, the other players are not, but I think uh, it's it's a very strong stance from her. Uh, and and again, it's, it's not a just like... I, I don't know why this matters to me, but it does. It's also not just like a... Uh, a poacher striker who sort of is like sitting out like she is a comprehensive from defense to offense can do so many different roles provides such threats in so many different spots that like I am genuinely sad she won't be at the tournament because we're going to be covering uh, pretty much every single game is our plan Uh, but I, I think yeah to your point it is a strong stance to take at a time when not many people in the world seem like they're entirely comfortable taking strong stances publicly. So credit to Ada uh, and credit to Leon for uh, their destruction of Barcelona, commiserations to the Barcelona women's team. But well done, Leon, uh, and worst of luck to the French players at the World Cup because I do think they're going to be uh, the USA's biggest threat. And so I'm just going to say worst of luck right now. The USA's biggest threat not called England, do you mean? Oh, of course, not yeah. quoting yeah. my mistake. Cool. I did. There were there were several English players uh, on both sides of the ball in this one. I listened to a like a five live interview with uh, I forget I, I do not know her name. Uh, the woman who she plays for Barcelona, but she is 
so very much from Liverpool, I can tell you that, because that accent was dominant. You're right. Was it one like a Stevie G, like his? <laughs> it was It was a lot of that, yeah. So, and I think she began by saying, like, she never, ever wanted to play f- abroad. She never wanted to leave the country. And again, I was like, yeah, that's that sounds about right. That sounds about right. But <laughs> she's there at Barcelona. I'm assuming she'll be there next season and in the Women's World Cup. But uh, until then, Ryan Bailey, I would just like to say thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me about so many different things um, uh, on today's weekend review. My pleasure. Thank you for having me once again. <laughs> that sounded like the exit of a man who's had 45 minutes sleep and <laughs> maybe like double hungover from this weekend. Well, I so realized Ryan, I just did a uh, Scouse accent, so I needed to kind of balance out and do a sort of a posher one. That was what that was, basically. Oh, I see. Uh, well, Ryan, I appreciate you closing the show on a posh note. Uh, now go get some sleep. I will. Night-night. Night-night. 